Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Tiny Spaces, we explore the intersection between real estate and big city, small apartment living, and how people who live in densely populated cities cope with the issues of space or lack thereof. Alex, why don't you start us out with a little history of New York City? Well, first, I want to say the one thing that you do and how you cope is you just move. <laughs> just kidding. So there has been a longstanding legacy of small apartments in New York City, which you know was a byproduct of old buildings that were built pre-war. And you know, I've always, Jamie, I've always had a uh, wondered what the word pre-war meant. Right? I mean, it's like what what war are we actually talking about? Revolutionary War, Vietnam. I mean, some of these buildings feel war of the roses. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> It begs the question. Yeah. I think I do think in all in all seriousness, I think they're referring to World War II, right? Those are all pre or post nineteen forty five, right? I think pretty much, and that makes that makes sense. But I digress, right? So back in those days, you know, there was this concept of tenement housing, which were um, narrow and typically made of three rooms because rents were low. Tenement housing was common choice for immigrants in New York uh, who came into America around that around that time, and it was common for a family of ten to live in a three hundred square foot apartment. Although the title of tenement housing is no longer a thing, you know, these buildings still exist in places like the East Village, uh, Lower East Side, and most certainly the 300 square foot apartment definitely still exists uh, in much part of New York, not just in, the, in downtown Manhattan, pretty much anywhere in the city you can find a really small apartment if you, if you, if you don't look that, very, look that hard. So small, you have to step outside just to change your mind. <laughs> exactly. And you know, in some of the cases, they've changed um, uh, the name of it. And so it's no longer called tenement housing. In some places, it's called a studio. <laughs> Other places, it's called a pied-a-terre. Uh, and I remember, you know, depending on how you look at it, um, whether or not you're in Soho, you're in Bed-Stuy, you're in Brooklyn, you're in, you're in Queens, you're going to find a very small apartment that people live in, whether or not by themselves, with family, or with roommates. And not only that, that apartment has been getting more expensive over the years, a combination of inflation and demand, the growth in the cities, the demand by these big companies to want more people to be working in this and living in the same place, be near the office or near the factory. And as we had this migration into the big cities over decades, as you and I were growing up, that demand just continued to grow. It seems like every kid comes out of college from some small town or some medium-sized town, you live in the suburbs with your parents, in a house, in a home, with a backyard and a front porch and neighbors left and right, and all of a sudden, you get your job in the big city, which you've been dying to do, and you've wanted to go to your whole life, where your dad drives, your mom drove to work or whatever, and, uh, and, but you have no money. You're, you're starting out in the lowest rung on, of the totem pole in the, uh, in the corporation, and so you're looking for the cheapest thing you can find, and in New York City, uh, that gets to be a very small apartment. Well, you know, you could make a good point, but you know, nowadays it's not just the fresh out of school, first job situation. I mean, now people in their forties and fifties are living in, you know, with, with well-established jobs are also living in small spaces. And that's a product to your point about the prices are just increasing, but everyone is feeling the pain. 
And, you know, whether or not, you know, you, you, you choose um, to live in a small apartment because you just love small apartments uh, or you have no choice because it's the only thing that you can afford or it's closer to your job are all things to consider. Well, that's that minimalist movement now, right? I mean, that probably it's probably come about it out of right. Necessity is the mother of invention. That whole minimalist movement of not hoarding a lot of stuff. Clearly, anyone who's lived in New York City on a on a tight budget knows that there's not a lot of hoarders hanging around because there's not a lot of space. But you bring up a great point, which is what it what are the trade offs that people are willing to make? Right, financial is one of them. Obviously, how much of your income do you want to put towards your living expenses? But in addition, there are other things where you're willing to sacrifice space within your house for the ability to do more outside your house. I'd like to think of it's almost like you're sacrificing indoor space for surrounding space, for cultural space, for living quote unquote space, whether it's the ability to take in more culture or go to more restaurants or travel more. Let's say you love to travel and every weekend you want to get away. Well, you'd gladly sacrifice the size of your living arrangements in the city if you're the type of person that travels every weekend to go camping in the country anyway. Well, you know, I mean, think about travel. I mean, you know, the, the reason why people eat out in New York is because they have to. <laughs> no, you can't even no eat. kitchens. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the necessity. Your point is of, is the is the is the is the benefit of all evil. I don't know what that line is, but the point is is that you the root have, of all evil, <laughs> the rule of all evil, right? Uh, the, the the moral of the story is is that you you have to you have to go out and enjoy life around you because you can't entertain in your home. You you can't cook and eat well in your home. So a lot of different things um, have create been created industries, in fact, around. Um, living in a small apartment. And I think um, just, just in short about technology, right? And this is the advancement of technology over the years. And I remember when I had a, um, a television set that was actually had a what they call a cathode ray tube. I mean, it literally had, it was so big that it was the half the size. wider than the couch. <laughs> right. I mean, so you had to, so you, you were limited. I think technology and the advancement of, of, um, of LEDs and OLEDs and stereos. Now we have Sonos. So instead of that big fat stereo system that you had that was underneath the, the dresser, now you don't have that anymore. You don't have a, a large television set. Um, you don't have a stereo at all anymore. You have your phone. Everything is on your phone. Exactly. So technology is almost complementing the, 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 the tiny movement in our lives. Well, not only that, and anybody who's ever lived in a big city or a city like New York City knows that because of the way people are forced to live for, for expenses reasons, the city and the surrounding community steps up with services that allow you to live that way, which is why you can order almost any type of food at any price point and have it delivered to your house pretty inexpensively in New York City. One of the big differences coming from New York to Miami is that you don't have those kind of options. You have Uber Eats now and all that, but that's not cheap. It's not necessarily always efficient. Um, but in a place like New York, they, they catered exactly to that. And anyone who's ever been into a modern new hotel that's a little more minimalist and realizes all the little cubby holes and all the places where you have outlets and all the ways they make the space more productive people have you, you can see right away how even in homes you like you say there's a whole in industry that has arisen to solve a lot of those issues well you know i'm going to jump on that right i think delivery is a really good example uh i to your point delivery in and of itself i feel like was defined in ur densely populated urban areas like new york city and only expanded upon uh in the suburbs and so the companies like doordash 
I think were great in the suburbs and in in largely sparsely densely populated cities where they uh, where it's like okay well this is great now I can get delivery I never had delivery before but to me living in Manhattan for example the fact that I've got to pay all these extra services fees now I'm forced to pay a seven dollar tip I mean I've, I I've been able to get delivery from the Chinese restaurant down the street for free. And it came in 15 minutes or less. And that to me was paradise. Now I've got to pay $30 plus this and the food arrives cold because I went through an app from a company that's in Silicon Valley that has never really understood uh, what it's like to live in a densely populated area. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. This is a complete other side of the spectrum. Look at what look at the industry of storage spaces that grew in Manhattan. I mean, I don't think you can drive down the east side or the west side of Manhattan without seeing these huge storage facilities because people just can't afford, especially in a city like New York, let's say you've got winter clothes and you've got summer clothes, right? Well, if you're in a 500 square foot apartment, you don't really have the kind of closet space where you're going to have all your all your outfits for you know for 12 months of weather you might have to put apartment. some of that stuff away <laughs> I mean, uh, how many times you've all seen those ads on tv for those shrink wrap devices it's like a reverse vacuum cleaner that sucks all the air out of the bag and you put 600 pounds of sheets into a, a thing the size of a napkin and toss it into a drawer or something like that I think that's a great question to ask your real estate agent. Like, how what's the what's the the closet space look like? And they just say winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a two two and a half season closet space facility. <laughs> you can get a fall outfit in there. <laughs> yeah, try hard enough, but I think that uh, I think you make a great point, right? I think you know we we in some cases though not we but those that live in the city by default have to settle on a certain way of life in order to really live effectively in new york i mean you're if you are an introvert and i think we've seen that a lot during the pandemic where people who uh, are really comfortable living in a small space you know kind of still live in a small space but those that just felt claustrophobic with those that needed the um external stimulus and the culture that as you mentioned um have opted to live elsewhere because they're not getting it in the pandemic and they just feel like you know what i've had it with the space let me move on well it's interesting you know um it's interesting how different cultures adapt to this exact issue. If you compare cities in Europe, where they also have very small apartments, and it's, it's very expensive to live in the city, and yet they spend a lot more of their time in groups in people's homes. And so they find a way, like in the Jurassic Park, the movie, you know, life finds a way. They find a way to be able to entertain and to enjoy that smaller space. Whereas here in the United States, we seem to have gone the opposite route. We're trading off the smaller space for everything else outside the space that we want to take advantage of and use our time and our money in that, in that regard whether it's cultural or whether it's dating or whether it's eating out or whether it's, it's going to museums. Whereas in other cultures, they spend, they save money that because they've spent a lot of money on a small home, they use that home as if it was a, any a regular size home and they make it work to have people over and, and, or even families living near each other, as you mentioned earlier in the show, the tenement houses. So it's, it's amazing how there are solutions for this issue and they can go, they can, they can be at any point along the spectrum.
Well, let's talk about that for a little bit, because that's a really good point. And when you think about different cultures in media and, and small spaces, I immediately think about Japan and Tokyo. And that sort of the, the, the model of a tiny home uh, or tiny space is someone living in that in that city, which is densely populated. And to me, I have visions of the Swiss army knife, right? <laughs> sort of it, you know, things fold and turn into something else. Murphy beds are commonplace. The, 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 the dining room table that seat eight turns upside down it's that's why their trees are so small <laughs> Banzai. so <laughs> so there's a really good there's a, something to be said for and the art of living and creating small right and that's that's the ingenuity and inventiveness that comes from creating something from nothing yeah, I mean, matter of fact, in this country now, one of the big things I see a lot of are these little miniature homes that they'll actually come and deliver, right? It's like you order a house, have it delivered. Yeah, I'll have a pizza and just bring the house with it, please. <laughs> Right. And, and there are all these small little spaces, but they're, but when you look at them, like it's one of those videos when you're on Instagram, you can't not watch because they're so cool how they incorporate everything in this, this tiny space. Now, I got to be honest with you. I look at, it, I think to myself, give me three months living in that place and went on to shoot somebody, probably myself, but I can see how it can be functional. I just don't know. I guess life finds a way. You learn to adapt and to take advantage of and to enjoy whatever space you're, if you're smart, whatever space you're, you're, you're in at whatever point in life, that's what, what life gives you. So, you know, if this, this goes back to a few episodes um, that we've talked about this issue, whether or not it's around the space or whether or not it's around the reasons why people choose where they live. And I, you know, I think about, um, you know, sort of the, the small space, I think about things like, well, well, have a, is a family in your future? Um, is it just you? You know, the, the lifestyle and the environment of which you're, you've confined yourself to dictates dictates what, in fact, you do and how you live and the choices that you make. And you know, I immediately think about if I had a large space, you know, what ends up happening in that large space? I end up filling it up with stuff. And so, the smaller space is a little more efficient. Perhaps it's a way to cleanse the palate or the mind when you when you know that you don't have clutter. I mean. I mean, all these things tell me the limiting of space in some cases can free your mind. There's no doubt about that. We've all, anyone who's been through a move knows how much stuff you realize is time to throw away or give away to charity if it can be reused in some fashion for someone else that can use uh, whatever it is you can't use anymore. But uh, there's just so much stuff and you get to a new place and then you fill that up with crap and some of that crap you have to get rid of when you move again. So it's like a spring cleaning, you know, it's almost like a spring cleaning. So uh, yeah, you learn you learn to live with less, I think. But I, I, I do want to pivot for a second here because you make a great point about how we've gotten to the point here where we learn to adapt to our environment but there's been a whole shift now with covid and zooming to the office and we've covered that in a bunch of different topics and now one of the main drivers one of the main reasons why you were willing to put up with almost no space for a lot of money because you had to be near work now that's becoming a, free, a that that concept is changing and the question is, as that happens, are people going to, is there, is there going to be a constant flow of new young people who want to come into a place like New York City where rent, they were giving away three months of rent a year ago because they couldn't get enough people and now rents are above where they were before the pandemic? Or is this going to be a kind of shift where it's going to be harder and harder to be able to continue to charge that kind of price for a small space when you have the whole country, you can now pick anywhere you want to go to get your space and work from home? 
Yeah, I think to your point, that raises a really good question, right? Because I think the issue was scarcity, right? So the fact that you couldn't live uh, in or close to your office without spending a lot of money is because there weren't enough apartments um, to live in. And so everyone was fighting on the same, for the same block or the same street, what have you. And uh, now I think that's changing because you have a lot of new inventory, depending on what city you're in, that's coming online with very expensive, small one bedroom apartments, which I think, you know, obviously sounds crazy, but in fact, um, you know, is, is seems to be quite the norm in New York City. And I think on top of that, you know, when you mentioned the fact that you, you people want to live close to work, people also wanted to live close to public transportation, a subway, for example, a bus stop. Uh, and, you know, infrastructure had to be created to adapt to that. First thing that comes to mind is the second half new subway, right? <laughs> That's been decades long um, of, of work that was purely designed to give to give uh, people on the upper Upper East Side more access to transportation, and thus what has happened is it's increased the value of those neighborhoods. Uh, but at the same time, you know, one would say, well, you know, in the advent of or in the absence of public transportation, you have companies like Uber and Lyft that create um, opportunities in transportation dead zones in the city. Uh, and now that those have come online, then you're more or less likely to live in East New York or Queens for that matter. But the, but the reverse actually ended up happening where Uber's, you know, the, the essence of Uber's that should have created more access created more parity because the prices are really high. You can't live in Brooklyn or Harlem for that matter and take an Uber to, to three rural trade center and have that be cost effective. So I think there's a lot of things at work, both pulling and pushing people to and from a tiny space in the city, um, especially these days. I agree. And I, and I do want to, um, I want to put a button on that point that I made earlier by, by taking the other side of the equation is to not to forget that in a lot of corporations, a lot of camaraderie building, a lot of training, a lot of corporate culture building, a lot of instilling the right culture on new employees comes from having everybody at one place together, working together, learning from each other, being incentivized by the success of the person next to you, like on a trading floor. And I think some of that will be lost. I think a lot of that demand will still be there and a lot of people will come back to work. Um, so I think it's going to be a trade-off and there will be some movement, but not all. But I agree that 100% in the end, uh, it seems like we're getting to a tipping point where the cost associated with living in a city is becoming so expensive that you that the size that you're able to to afford is might start to be really intrude on your quality of life and become a, a real consideration into whether or not you still want to do that. Yeah. So let's just talk about that for a minute, right? I mean, what are the decisions that people make um, that? where they can trade one for the other, right? So what is a quality of life look like <laughs> in a big space versus quality of life look like in a small space? And you made a great point earlier when you mentioned that sometimes it's not just a 21-year-old wide-eyed person coming into the city. It's a 40-year-old changing careers or getting a divorce or changing cities for, for whatever reason. And I think that gets back to this exact question you just asked now. I guess it, it depends at where you are in your life. I think... I think maybe when you're younger, you're willing to sacrifice internal space because you, most of your life is out of your apartment, outside your apartment anyway. All your socializing, all your work, all your, uh, you know, your, your excitement of being in a big city for the first time, you're going out, you're dating, you're going to th museums, you're traveling, all that is outside the house. As you get older and whether or not it's family 
or uh, or or a more relaxed lifestyle, or uh, there's there's some issue physically where you can't be as active outdoors as you used to be. There are a lot of reasons why you might want to spend more time indoors. At that point, the size of where you're living might take on a bigger, more importance than when you're half your age, half that age. Well, you know, let's just say, for example, that 500 square feet is small, right? I think for a lot of people who live in the suburbs, 500 square feet is tiny. Uh, some people in the city may think 500 square feet is large, but let's just yeah, say- In New York City, 500 square feet is a, is a, is a one and a half bath, uh, two bedroom, and in the middle of Illinois, it's a shed behind the house. <laughs> right, right. So, but I think we should all, we should all recognize that, that not all 500 square feet apartments are the same. Right. You know, I think there's a there is the 500 square foot five story walk up in Lower East Side. And then there's the 500 square foot highly amenitized with infinity pools and gym and 24 hour doorman and all the storage. And can- I do want to say it's it's we're really talking like 758 square feet. Right. And there are there. I mean, I don't want our listeners to think that all the one bedrooms for sale in New York City are 500 square feet, because I think that's still a little small. Right. Is that more like a studio? I think that's a studio. Well, yeah. So, well, but it's still. 500 square feet. I mean, yeah. the way you slice it, I mean, you could add a bedroom to 500 square feet if you like, right? You could add a, you know, you could do all these things to make it seem like it's a, a normal apartment, but in reality, it's the square footage that really matters, right? As a matter of fact, you know, like in some cases, you can have a 1200 square foot open format uh, apartment and someone call that a studio, right? I think, I think, you know, so all things being considered, let's just use square foot as the as the um, as the as the metric, the defining character, right, right. <laughs> and then, but but it, once again, to your point, that people, whether or not you're a student freshly out of college or you're a corporate executive, you can still find yourself in a small situation having to deal with it. And and the reasons why you choose perhaps the things that. The, the amenities and so forth that make that apartment more appealing because uh, the trade-offs aren't as severe based on the pricing, the price that you pay might make the difference. But at the same time, it's still the same, it's the same size. And I, and I think that there's an interesting component to that, right? Because of course, we all, we, we had episodes where we talked about dog ownership and how the cost of dog ownership is increasing. Clearly, you know, you have a small dog, dogs are getting smaller to fit into small apartments. I mean, everything is literally shrinking. Three-footed dog. If that, right? I mean, things are shrinking to accommodate our lives, right? And so I find like, okay, there's us, and we can only afford or whatever, a small apartment, we can only afford a certain space, or we choose to live in a certain space. But the things that we have available to us, um, for better or for worse, are designed to be small. Phones, as we talked about, furniture, there are companies, there are architects and designers that all they do is design for small spaces and they made a living doing that. And I think that there's a very interesting point to say that, well, where we are today, are we, should we be comfortable with, with this, this environment in which we're living in, which is small, uh, is the way of living? Uh, do we think that this is going to continue in the future? Do we think we're, it's ever going to change or just get worse? Yeah, those are those are big questions. Uh, I can't imagine that it's going to get cheaper over time to live in a city where a lot of people want to live or want to gravitate to unless we see an even bigger switch away from corporate 
living to everybody living at home and working on their own. And I just don't, I don't think that's the kind of switch we're going to get. So I think there's always going to be demand. And I think New York City is a good example of that, um, how quickly it came back and how, how, uh, um, the rebound, how strong the rebound was, as it always is in New York City, which is very unique in that way. Um, but I do think price is going to be an issue. And I do think, to your point exactly, we have done a tremendous job of making life more comfortable in smaller and smaller spaces uh, and uh, utilizing space in ways that we never considered or never really had to consider in the past because space wasn't an issue or wasn't that big an expense. So I do think you can still be very comfortable living in small spaces. I do think the people who want to have the 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 life that that is thrust in your face where you're constantly being stimulated where there's always something to do where there's always somebody interested in doing something fun with you i think people will still always be willing to make that trade-off i do think to your point it's a little easier to live in a smaller space than it was but i do also think to your point it's getting ridiculously expensive well you know so i'm not the only person that thinks this way i mean there is a study uh business insider did a survey really asking uh, uh, respondents whether or not they felt that this trend of, 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 of homes, of smaller homes, will continue. And as a matter of fact, it's counterintuitive, right? Smaller homes and smaller apartments are more popular now than they've ever been. And there's, as a result, there was like 79% of survey respondents, I'm reading this, said that um, being able to afford um, a median price of a tiny home was more important um, than than um, than than a, a traditional home, where fifty three percent felt that they can afford a regular size home. So more people feel they can afford smaller homes, pushing the demand and thus pushing the price up. Ultimately. People aren't able to afford anything at some point in time. They're down the road. In other words, they, in other words, they're, they're willing to make the trade-off of being an owner, even if being an owner means an owner of a smaller property. Correct, and I think that also is counterintuitive because we've also heard a lot of people saying how the younger generation are less likely to want to buy, which is also changing because now more more younger, basically younger people couldn't afford. Uh, larger places now they're now they're snapping up smaller smaller properties and actually buying instead of renting, which is different than what most people believe. So basically, what you're saying is the provider of the service, in this case, the developer and the builders, they're seeing more of a demand to own from a younger generation now, and so they're trying to find ways to make it viable to actually own the home at a lower price point, which obviously means you got to make it smaller. But I guess with all the technology and all the advancements, it, you can live a still live a very high quality life in a smaller space and may, perhaps you thought you were going to be able to live that quality life in the past, and now you can be an owner even though it's a smaller house. Pretty soon, there'll be a thousand houses on every street. They'll all be four feet high <laughs> exactly well you know i mean it's also the point that you know that the reality of ownership of home ownership um most people don't think that they're going to live in an apartment for 30 years and they get a 30-year fixed mortgage which is awesome but they're not going to be there for 30 years and so they're gonna be there for five or six years and so i'll deal with 500 square foot for the next five or six years and then i'm going to upgrade something else of course five or six years <laughs> turns into 10, uh, it turns into 20. But moral of the story is I think people think um, temporary when they think tiny. Well, it's like me and my car, right? I mean, I bought a car. I thought I'll have it for three years, four years. Meanwhile, 21 years go by. I'm still driving the same car. <laughs> Can you imagine if like, how long I'm going to own this apartment? <laughs> 
Well, look, I mean, I think that that's a really good point. I think for, for us today, um, well, for us when we were young, for us today and for us uh, in the future, I think we we it's probably fair to say that we will probably live in a small apartment uh, at least once uh, in our in our in our lives, if not multiple times. And I think that the future is is shaping out where small is becoming more livable because our requirements um, are becoming less, um, you know, requirements to live big are becoming less important and technology and the things that are built around us and the services that that are that surround us are uh, allowing us to live smaller, a lot more comfortably. And to your point at the beginning of the show, smaller apartments are not just restricted to the old apartment buildings that were built years and years ago and are crumbling and don't have a lot of services, but you're now seeing those opportunities even in the newest, most modern, hippest, coolest buildings in the best parts of town. That's right. So if you can find a small apartment with a swimming pool, <laughs> go for it. Thanks everyone for listening in to our episode on Tiny Spaces, How People Cope with the High Cost of Living Small. See you next week. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.